Hello and welcome to another episode of the Craft Beer Talk Show, episode 16 to be exact. I'm your host, Matt Sausch. This is a show where we discuss, of course, local craft pints uh, and beer history here and there. Most importantly, whatever crosses my mind. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, If you're a regular or have tuned in before, welcome back. Uh, Very cool episode lined up for you today. Uh, Very informative, actually. We'll be discussing the the biggest beer festival in in the world, basically. Uh, That, of course, being Oktoberfest. We'll dive into what it is, where it is, why it even happens. Uh, We'll also compare it to the Oktoberfests that they put on here in Canada. Mostly Ontario, obviously, because this is an Ontario craft beer talk show. Um, It's a bit of a later recording than I usually do. Usually I record around 5 o'clock, so I'm a bit more with it. But um, it is around quarter to 11 here in uh, Toronto, Oakville to be exact. Um, So forgive me, I'm a little bit tired, but we're going to get through this. This is a big episode. It took a lot of research, um, so that's why I'm kind of recording later. Um, but of course, after all of that, all of the Oktoberfest talk, we'll be diving into uh, a beer and brewery, and we'll be doing a, a brewery Oktoberfest style to match the, the theme of the episode. Uh, there is a specific reason why uh, I picked that beer. Uh, I reached out on Instagram and, and asked people for the recommendations. If you follow me at the Craft Beer Talk Show, you would have seen that. And thank you to everyone who did reach out. But I did not pick any of those styles uh, that people recommended or the breweries. So I do apologize for that. But I actually came across this beer while just scrolling through my feed. uh, And and it caught my eye for a particular reason. And I'll get to that uh, at the end segment of the show where we talk about the beer and the brewery. I'll explain kind of why that is. Um, But before we get started... Uh, I wanted to also mention that the 2020 Canadian Brewing Awards uh, were handed out recently. I was going to chat about it uh, a little bit at the beginning of this episode, but uh, a friend of the show really wanted me to dedicate uh, an entire episode to the awards and the winners, so we will be doing that next week. So mark that on your calendars, uh, stay tuned, but this episode isn't about next week. It's about this week. And this week, uh, the best festival ever starts. Well, would have started. That's a little bit of a a spoiler for the rest of the episode. But let's dive in into Oktoberfest now. Um, I guess the way we will do this is like your standard investigation of of anything, really. Um, The standard questions you ask, what, when, where, why. Um, so I guess we'll begin from the, the, from the top. What is Oktoberfest? Well, obviously, uh, it's a festival, um, a folk festival or Volkfest in German. Um, there's going to be a lot of words I mispronounce in this episode. And my apologies go out to all German natives uh, or descendants, really the whole German culture. I apologize. Um there's a lot of words and names, names more specifically, really, um, that I'm going to hopefully pronounce uh, correctly. But the festival itself lasts 16 to 18 days from mid-late September 
uh, to the first Sunday in October. Every year, roughly 6 million people or more, I'd say more, honestly, uh, attend this festival and consume basically large quantities uh, of beer. This event is a, a tradition of Bavarian culture uh, and has been occurring year in, year out, for the most part, since uh, 1810. Uh, in 2013, for example, 7.7 million, 7.7 million liters of beer were consumed. And that's that's a figure from seven years ago. Um, I got all my research from the same place. And that was the stat they included with their their breakdown, kind of the of the entire uh, Oktoberfest festival. So they're probably honestly, I think it probably went up. It's probably I don't know, probably roughly the same, but almost maybe even eight million liters. I think more people are going, and uh, I don't know if that figure is based just on the Munich festival or if that's based on kind of like all Oktoberfest festivals that. Uh, that happen, uh, you know, planet planet wide. Um, but beer isn't the only thing to do, of course. There's games, uh, attractions, shows. Basically, more and more was added on to this festival as years, decades, centuries went by. Um, traditional food is also available during the festival. Uh, I think everyone who knows. Uh, about Oktoberfest knows that uh, a brat or two is enjoyed. But uh, to answer the question of where, uh, that would be Munich, Germany. Uh, but also nowadays, like I said, it's really all over the world. It's so popular and everyone's doing their their own kind of interpretation of it. Um, but that sums up like the basic what, when, and where. But really, that only scratches you know the surface. Anyone who, who listens to this podcast... Um, should know that it's it's all about the why, uh, and the why isn't so easy to skim over, such as you know the the previous questions were. So as I said, uh, the festival uh, has been going on since 1810. Now that's a long time. That's 210 years by my math. I'm no mathematician, but it seems like 210 years to be exact. So. Really, the only way to break down the why, um, you know, is kind of century by century uh, until we get to the current day. So it's kind of talk about how it got started and then go, you know, decade, not decade by decade, but yeah, definitely century by century um, until the now. So let's start off from the beginning. We've got King Ludwig the first. Kronpins Ludwig, um, maybe Ludwig, I'm not sure. And he is set to marry Princess Therese of Saxe-Hildburghausen um, on October 12, 1810. The citizens of Munich were all invited to t- attend a festival that was held in front of the city gates to celebrate the royal event. Uh, these fields were called Theresenwise or uh, Theresa's Meadow in English in honor of the princess. Uh, that name has actually held up until now, but locals have shortened the name uh, to simply Wizen. Uh, it helps me out a lot to just call it Wizen. Um, about a week later, horse races would commence in honor of the newlyweds, which was widely believed 
to be suggested by uh, a major of the National Guard by the name of Andreas Michael Dallarmi. Uh, but others believe that the races and even the festival itself uh, was suggested by another member of the National Guard named Franz Baumgartner. So the origins themselves remain sort of a, a controversial topic, but we do know that the idea uh, to repeat all of these events uh, in 1811 is is what sparked the tradition of Oktoberfest. So now we can talk about exactly how it's changed over time uh, and developed into to what it's known to be today. So a wedding, I guess, to, to put it in simple terms, is, is really what started it all, a celebration of a, a royal wedding. Um, and I guess not the wedding itself, but the the events and festivities that helped celebrate uh, this wedding is pretty much what sparked uh, the tradition of Oktoberfest. So let's start with the um, 19th century, so 1811. Uh, a show was added. Wow, a show. A show was added to the festival uh, which promoted Bavarian agriculture um, following a war in 1813. Uh, the festival added tree climbing, uh, bowling alleys, swings, uh, and other attractions. It's funny to think about uh, like bowling, bowling alleys back in 1813. I'm sure, uh, you know, they're obviously more or less the same than they are now, but uh, maybe I should start a, a, another podcast on the history of just random things. But um, bowling alleys, uh, that, that's definitely crazy to think about compared to what they are now. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. Uh, it wasn't until 1818 that carnival games were added. Uh, you could win silver, uh, porcelain, uh, jewelry. And then in 1819, it became official that Oktoberfest would become uh, an annual event, although it already, it already seemed to be one other than in 1813. So uh, a parade would happen honoring the marriage of the two, the newlyweds, the uh, the prince and the princess. Uh, and that kind of started this whole thing, right, in 1810. That parade didn't actually restart until 1850. Uh, and then at that time, it became a major part of the festival. So 8,000 people um, dressed in traditional costume, um, they would march through the center of Munich uh, to the Oktoberfest grounds honoring uh, the, the prince and, and princess. Um, but uh, through the, the mid-1800s, uh, a lot of cancellations occurred. Uh, I'm going to talk about all the cancellations at the end, pretty much, of the Oktoberfest chat. There's like a separate segment, a cancellation, cancellation segment. Um, but in the late 1800s, electricity uh, became relevant, which is like another th crazy thing to think about. How oh, I'm talking about all these big festivals and like electricity wasn't even part of it. Um, but particularly the, the first booths um, and, and tents finally were lit up in uh, 1880. Then in 1881, uh, booths finally were selling Brawwurst, which in my opinion, is uh, a major, major part uh, of the festival today and kind of 
all the festivals you see at least here in Ontario and Canada emphasize these sausages um, as part of the tradition. And the first beer in glass mugs were served in 1892. So those three years were pretty big. Um, at the end of the 18th century, a whole reorganization came to the event. What was uh, originally room for these booths and games of Skittles, uh, so they call, which I believe is some variation of like lawn bowling, um, as well as large dance floor. Uh, they were replaced by large beer halls. Interesting enough, it wasn't until 1887 that breweries actually took part in the festival for the very first time. Um, so the, the beer before, I don't know where it was supplied from, but I'm sure maybe one brewery or maybe it was like an in-house royal brewery. But uh, the breweries uh, from Munich finally took place uh, in this festival very the very first time in 1887. So then that brings us to the 20th century. Um, we first hit 1910, which is the 100th anniversary of the festival, um, an estimated 120 liters were consumed. Now, that doesn't sound a lot to the 7.7 million liters um, that I expressed happened in 2013, but that's uh, obviously 103 years later, so very big difference. Now, the 20th century brings a lot of controversy. There was two world wars, um, a lot of propaganda, and a lot of political pressure. Uh, there were smaller celebrations during these times, and I'll explain uh, in that cancellation segment what that kind of what they were really. Uh, really, wasn't almost until 1950 when things became, I guess you could say, normal again. Um, you know, with the 12-gun salutes and the tapping of the first keg by the mayor of Munich and the old yelling of, oh, Zapfitz, um, which means it's tapped in Austro-Bavarian. Now, that was my absolute best, um, you know, like way to say it. Like, that was like, that took everything I had. Um, and I really hope I nailed it. But if anyone is uh, Austrian or, or Bavarian, German, and thinks I did a, a terrible translation of Ozafitz, they can tell me, and I can take the heat. So, you know, no hard feelings. But during the 20th century, uh, also came a stronger protection presence uh, in terms of security, health tents, um, obviously child care, and, and all that kind of stuff. Science was advancing. Uh, we knew more about health uh, and those types of things, and uh, it, it became a necessity at a festival. But tragedy would strike again in 1980. The Oktoberfest pipe bomb would go off, killing 13 people and injuring 225, 68 of so being seriously injured. Um, it's one of Germany's greatest terrorist attacks. Uh, the bomb, which was placed in a garbage bin, it was filled in uh, a fire extinguisher um, with TNT and uh, mortar shells. Really a, a devastating 
uh, event and I hate to look back uh, at it and bring it up but it's you know it's it's such a historic festival and obviously you know when these things happen it's 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 a real shame and and it makes you scared you know for the future and it makes you hesitant to go to these things but uh, obviously security tightened up since then and uh, you know there's more screening procedures and more eyes um, on on the whole scenario but you also never know, right? Anything can happen, and it's it's just sickening um, to think that that someone or for some reason, you know, this this had to happen. Um, but you know, kind of moving on um, to the twenty first century, trying to turn a page here. Um, really, not a whole lot uh, is different, other than some major societal changes, such as uh, no smoking in the tents. Um, and definitely trying to accommodate for more people, right? Like, you know, this planet keeps pumping out more and more people. So trying to have a place for them. Uh, but one thing that did change uh, from the past was the introduction of Quiet uh, Oktoberfest or the introduction for Quiet Oktoberfest. I don't even know what I'm saying. It's, it's late. I'm sorry, guys. I may have just even repeated myself twice. I don't even know. But um, this meant that until 6 p.m., so up until 6 p.m., quiet brass or traditional folk music was only to be played. Um, and this encouraged like, older crowds, um, older people, um, or even people with young children uh, compared to the nonstop party atmosphere uh, that Oktoberfest was, was up until this point, you know, like it was constantly nonstop party all day long, beer, 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 drink, drink, drink. Um, we also see the introduction of two different affiliated Oktoberfests um, in Rosa Weizen, which is uh, an Oktoberfest for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and the Old Weizen, which is uh, a historical kind of segment to the festival, looking back of kind of what it was back then. Um, you know, why it was, let's not forget the tradition, let's not forget, you know, the reason this kind of whole started, so uh, definitely pretty cool, um, and it, honestly, in my opinion, the addition of these two events only make it better, because uh, you're growing the festival, you're including more people, um, you're making a more comfortable environment for different, you know, walks of life, and uh, really showing that this festival is for everybody. It's for the people. Uh, and that's really cool. So um, let's move on now to the cancellations of the event. So I guess the negative. All of the bad things. All of the things we don't want to hear about because we want Oktoberfest to always go on. Um, so over the years, a bunch of cancellations. Uh, I won't necessarily like dive into them as to like, like why and, and all this. Because some of them are political. Um, and, and realistically, you know, I just want to keep it light, uh, but I think you should be aware of, you know, why it was canceled. This is the, kind of the history segment and, uh, the negative is also part of history. So, uh, I'll, I'll briefly touch on them, but, uh, we've got the, uh, Napoleonic Wars. I don't even know if I said that right, but Napoleonic Wars in 1813, uh, Bavaria had involvement in that. Um, and then in, in 1853, the event had to be canceled after 3,000 um, people of Munich died after the uh, 
cholera epidemic. Uh, it's a disease infecting the small intestine. Um, another war in 1866, then another war in 1870. Uh, yet again, another uh, cholera epidemic, which ended the festival in 1873. Um, and then that's kind of for it for the 19th century. This brings us to World War I uh, from 1914 to 1918, which the festival was suspended. So that's four years right there. Then the two years after the war ended, they celebrated what was known as the, the Smaller Autumn Celebration. Um, and then in 1923 and 1924, uh, the festival was canceled due to hyperinfection. So as you can see, uh, a lot of disease um, and a, a lot of infections come before a time. But uh, before World War II, uh, it seemed as though they continued to celebrate the festival. Although Hitler changed the name to uh, Greater German Folk Festival. And uh, it was strongly supported by the Nazi regime. So I, I'm not sure how that affected crowds um, and who and like who wasn't allowed to go or whatever. I do know that um, Jewish folk were not allowed uh, to work the festival. Um, obviously, of course, due to the, the, the Nazi regime. But during the war itself, from 1939 to 1945, there was no celebration of the festival. So, boom, right there, that's six years. Um, and then after the war, from 46 to 48, Munich only celebrated what was called the Autumn Festival, um, where Oktoberfest-style beer was sold. Um, so, so, 24 years, the festival uh, hasn't been celebrated. So 24 years has been canceled, obviously a lot coming from uh, wars during the 19th and 20th century. Um, but then comes 2020, this year. And uh, another pandemic and another celebration canceled. And, you know, it's a real shame. It, it's totally understandable. But when tradition gets canceled, absolutely no one is happy. But uh, let's move on from all this negative talk and talk about what the positive is, which is the beer. Uh, so the rule is simple. Um, only beer that complies uh, with the Reinheitsgebot uh, and brewed within the semi limits uh, of Munich uh, can be served uh, at Munich Oktoberfest. Uh, Reinheitsgebot. Um, is kind of just a, a Bavarian law, which um, it's kind of like the Bavari, uh, Bavarian purity law, where only certain ingredients, uh, it has to be brewed a certain way um, for these Munich brewers. But uh, beers that uh, match this criteria are called uh, Oktoberfest beer. Uh, although the name itself only denotes to two different styles, which is a, a traditional Marzen lager, which is like a Bavarian lager, basically, like lagers made in Bavaria, um, or a paler lager, uh, which is known as a, a Festbier. And it's actually more common beer served nowadays. Um, back in the day, the beer used to be a lot more malty, um, almost heavier. But over the years, it's gotten lighter and paler, year in, year out. Um, and Oktoberfest beer is trademarked by these Munich, uh, the M club of Munich beers or Munich brewers, I think one of the two, it's called one of the two, but it's just several Munich breweries 
Um, so you won't see a lot of like Oktoberfest named beers in Ontario just because to be named an Oktoberfest beer, it, it has to be um, one of those breweries from Munich. Uh, what the main difference is between, um, you know, what it's like in Germany versus what it's like in Ontario. The biggest difference is the genuine experience of Bavarian and German culture. Here in Ontario, everything uh, is smaller scale for the most part, uh, not as authentic. Uh, of course, the, the biggest festivals uh, here replicate the beer halls uh, and the style is replicated everywhere. Uh, even music and food, but the authenticity of of everything is diminished simply by location. Of course, you're going to get better of everything in Munich than here. Um, with that being said, you you can have a ton of fun here uh, in Ontario and have a genuine memory at least from it. I went to an Oktoberfest last year uh, in Wonderland. Uh, which is a, an amusement park here uh, in the Vaughan area, just north of Toronto. And it was very small scale, so it didn't have like the beer halls, just the way it was set up. But um, it did have kind of these long standing tables and these picnic tables everywhere. And lots of people were there. It was uh, sponsored by Steam Whistle. Um, and you got to, to take this. This large kind of Oktoberfest stein with, you know, the traditional stein that they serve uh, their their beer in. So that was pretty cool. But, you know, you had the traditional German music up on stage um, blasting in, in this area. And you had um, tons of, of options in terms of sausages, um, you know, and brats and pretzels and, and all that. So it was a really good times in terms of experiences, you know, drinking beer, being with your friends and family and and sharing a laugh, kind of experiencing something new. But when I look at that and compare it to what it's like in Germany where, you know, it, it, they, they talk about 8,000 or 3,000 or whatever the number was, people walking down the street heading towards the Oktoberfest grounds. Obviously, that's that's completely different. This is people just being in the park. Now, I'd never really been to an Oktoberfest festival that was, um, you know, maybe – like at a brewery or, or at uh, a restaurant or anything like that. This one, of course, people participating um, in, you know, just going to the amusement park. We're, we're kind of there and kind of involved in it. So it's not like you got people just going to this Oktoberfest. But in the same sense, I think it probably helped the event. Um, I would love, just love to, to go to the official uh, Munich one because I think, honestly, if you're a beer lover, uh, you need to go to, especially a history uh, beer lover, you want to go um, to this festival in Germany because the breweries, the Munich breweries that I mentioned about, the club of Munich breweries, are the only six breweries that are allowed to brew this Oktoberfest beer for the festival are are such just traditional beers and uh, have been brewing for for centuries upon centuries kind of founding fathers of of lagering and the the whole style of of german beer so i think that's kind of the you know the second kind of positive the second advantage of going is 
you get to taste straight up German beer in in the country. Uh, no different than we encourage people to come to Canada, come to Ontario, and and try our craft scene. That's what it's like for them there. Of course, when we try a beer that's that's German or even European, I'll I'll kind of uh, put it more in a broad perspective. It's known as premium here, you know, or import. But when you go there, these breweries are so big and so uh, old and been along for so while. That's like their domestic brands, you know. So it is funny to think about, you know, sitting down at a bar and and ordering uh, a European beer and paying a premium on it just because it's imported. Where in fact, it doesn't actually make it any better. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, from what I've had, it it does. But it technically doesn't make it any better because when you go to Europe, um, that is basically their their domestic brand. Um, that is their their cheap beer, um, so to speak. But uh, let's move on. That's pretty much it for the Oktoberfest talk. Hopefully I covered everything that uh, you're going to want to know. Um, took a lot of research to, to just cover. I mean, usually episodes don't ma- last much longer than this. We haven't even gone into... Uh, the beer we're tasting and the brew we're talking about today, uh, and we're already at half an hour. So let's dive into that. Um, the brewery we're doing today is called Four Fathers Brewing. Um, the history itself of the brewery, uh, according to their website, um, is actually pretty simple and 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 straightforward. Um, there's not too much backstory, I guess you could say. Um, I guess it starts in 2009, small town Ontario. So they say um, this brewery is in Cambridge. Uh, so I don't know. It doesn't actually specify if they start in Cambridge or if they're somewhere else. But I would imagine they're from Cambridge. They were four hockey dads um, and they had four hockey sons. Uh, there was an artist, an entrepreneur, uh, a corporate executive and a maverick and uh they gar- they gathered around, you know, a shared love of, of handcrafted uh, and authentic beer. And they shared this vision of producing uh, high-quality craft beers. And, and, you know, they would want to combine an, an artistry and accessibility to, to their brand. Um, you know, you put together a whole lot of time spent together um, in rinks, soccer pitches, whatever sports their sons were playing. Um, and they experimented over a stovetop, so they're home brewers themselves. They planted their own hops. They toured microbreweries together uh, around the world, so it says on their website. Um, and slowly things began to, to brew, for lack of a better term. And uh, that friendship, like their craft beer, they say is based on simple formula. And I guess it's their, their trademark or slogan, but it's like stand up for each other. Uh, forefathers stand up for each other stand up for something bigger than yourself and stand up for the um, antiquated notion that quality craft beer matters um i went to the brewery to get this beer this beer was not given to me i did not get it from the lcbo uh, i went there with a friend uh, a good loyal friend of the craft beer talk show ryan bond um we went down we had together we sat a pint and I really liked uh, the beer. We, you know, I brought uh, I bought the Fest beer that uh, they they brew, and um, I bought a glass actually. So you'll see the glass on Instagram when I post the picture um, on Friday or over the weekend. 
Um, I think I actually posted it on my Instagram when I was at the brewery. Um, it's like a tall, almost Pilsner style, um, Julian, I think it's called glass and, um, really sharp looking glass, but, uh, that's what we're going to be drinking out of today. I thought the brewery was pretty cool. Uh, we were treated awesomely there. They made us feel, um, very welcome. I walked in wearing my Raiders mask. Of course, the guy was quick to chat me up about football. Uh, we sat outside, but we did walk through the majority of the brewery. It's very big. Um, I like, I'd love to see it when it's packed. It was uh, a Wednesday night for us. So, uh, the brewery wasn't really all that bumping. Um, but I would love to see the place packed, um, and, and thriving maybe on a Saturday night. I'm not sure it's, it's located kind of in, um, like they say, small town, Ontario, sure. Um, Cambridge, but it's even in like, it's kind of a small historic part of Cambridge like I, I get I don't know if it's a downtown core or anything but um, a really nice part of town um, I really like the brewery and I hope they have lots of success coming their way uh, so the beer itself um, I, I mentioned earlier that there was a specific reason um, you know why I, I neglected all um of the suggestions based on the poll that I posted on Instagram. Um, basically how, how this came across to me was, like I said, I was scrolling through Instagram. Uh, I follow Forefathers Brewing on Instagram. So I guess they had posted a picture um, of this beer. And as you guys know, I was obviously looking for uh, Oktoberfest style or uh, Fespiar. And they had just re-released, uh, but back by popular demand, um, their fest beer, um, which is, is called These Pretzels Are Making Me Thirsty. Um, and I guess this might be a new fact you learn about me um, on the Craft Beer Talk Show as a host, as a person, but I love Seinfeld. It's probably my favorite show. I think it's hands down the funniest um, sitcom. I know for younger people, it's maybe a bit harder to relate to, but I consider myself young and, uh, I think it's, it's just outstanding. I think it's hilarious. Um, I find it so relatable, but, um, these pretzels are making me thirsty is a quote from that show. Now I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody at the brewery about the title, uh, of this, this beer. But basically, the, the background behind it on the show is that the, the four characters all are kind of just taking turns trying to say this um, this line. As I believe, I'm not sure if it's Jerry, um, honestly, Kramer, maybe even George. One of them, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the episode, but one of them um, is doing like a commercial or, or an ad of some sort. And they have to say, these pretzels are making me thirsty. And then they all kind of take turns being like, no, you're not doing it right. You know, these pretzels are making me thirsty. You know, they all take turns kind of putting their own spit on it. Goes on for who knows how long, but um, quite comical. Um, And that kind of just drew to me right away. So I knew that I absolutely uh, had to do this beer. Um, uh, it's 5.4%, uh, lagered fest beer brewed. It's actually brewed with local honey. So it has, does have a little bit of its own kind of spin, um, on the traditional stuff, 
but uh, it's a returning favorite, and uh, I couldn't find the the IBUs for it, but I would imagine it's probably a pretty low IBU. I think it's probably a standard lager. Um, I expect it to be probably a little bit more malty, um, especially with honey too, because like honey does have a little bit of sweetness, but I think it's thick, and I think that adds kind of like to to the maltiness. But I do expect it to be smooth as well. Um, with the lagering process, um, etc. So obviously, like I usually do, I will uh, pour this off mic, um, do my thing, and then uh, we're going to get to tasting uh, this uh, edition of Oktoberfest beer. All right, so we got the beer poured. Um, by the looks of it, it looks great in this glass, but uh, it looks pretty like a traditional lager, um, almost a little bit paler. It's not like crystal clear. Uh, it does have like the slightest bit, when I mean the slightest bit uh, of haziness, like, you know, I mean the slightest bit. Um, so pretty much a traditional lager uh, on, on the smell. You get that the tr- traditional sweetness you know I, I don't get too much honey like they're suggesting but i don't think the honey is really aroma related um you get kind of that grainy grassy smell um but a lot of sweetness right from that that pale malt um like i said i'm expecting the beer taste wise uh to be malty especially with the honey i think it's got to have a sweet kind of aftertaste um but i think it should have a lot of mouthfeel um you know, and lingering, uh, you know, when it goes down the hatch. So let's give it a sip. Hmm, okay. I, w- I will say, yeah, okay, it's not low in carbonation. I am getting a lot of notes kind of, you know, within and through the mouth. Uh, a lot of sweetness, very pale, light, crisp very refreshing um the honey you do get kind of undertones in the aftertaste uh but i wouldn't say it's super dominant uh so i'd say it's like a splash of honey but even in their advertisements or descriptions of the beer they do say yeah it's with local honey but they don't really say like it's all about the honey so i'm not even um you know disappointed in, in any fact that i can't necessarily taste all that much honey I'll uh, give it a second taste here. Mm, it is tasty. I, I really like it. And I will say this. Um, I had two beers at Forefathers um, on on Wednesday. So yesterday, uh, when you guys are listening to this, it'll be, it'll be Wednesday. Um, I had a, the New World Pilsner and I've had the, the, Shevchenko 9, which was, I think, a dark lager. The The Pilsner was okay. It wasn't really my style Pilsner. You guys know I love Pilsner, so um, that's hard to impress me. But the Shevchenko 9, uh, I did really like. But I do think that this one actually is my favorite. And I am maybe being a bit biased based on the name. Um, but it's crisp, clean, refreshing. It's getting me into the spirit of Oktoberfest, and I think that is the real review. Is how much does this Vespiar make me feel 
as if I'm at Oktoberfest, could I be slamming these down the hatch, um, you know, being served by the absolute schooner um, on these long beer halls? And I think for me, the answer is absolutely yes. I think it's totally crushable. Um, in terms of Craft Beer Talk Show induction to Craft Beer Award, uh, I'm going to go with it's probably not in there just because, oh, excuse me, wow. Uh, you can't get it all year long, but uh, it's definitely a good beer. I think at this time, if this was the time you wanted to introduce someone to craft beer and be like, this is what local breweries are producing, I think they definitely would bite on it. Um, but since it isn't a, a beer that's produced all season long, all year round, you can't necessarily um, put it out there. But I do love the beer, and I think it's smooth. Uh, I think they've done a really nice job. I wish they did have it all year because I think I would buy a lot of it. Um, and I think that people definitely should try this beer out, especially if they're having Oktoberfest parties. I think bars should definitely look into this beer, especially the local ones. Maybe they do. Um, in terms of a score, i got to give it one absolute last sip here um, to, to give it the score. I want to be fair. And on that last sip, I literally just somehow spilt it all over my pants. I don't know if that's going to bring them down a couple notches. I'm just kidding. But, yeah, that did actually happen. Um, I'm going to go with a 7.9. I think it's kind of like a true cut, clean, kind of average beer. But I also think it has just a tad bit of... Not like a wow factor, but I think it's like a bit above average. So instead of like the 7.5 that traditionally is the average score, uh, I'm going to give it a 7.9. It doesn't quite crack the 8. It's not like super mind-blowing um, or in the exceptional level of beer, but it is a good beer. Uh, 7.9 even makes it. Uh, it's a great beer. Um, totally crushable. Have it at your parties. Um, even all October long. Uh, I'd say buy this beer while it lasts for Father's Brewing, Cambridge, Ontario. Um, But that pretty much wraps up um, the the episode today. And I hope you guys enjoyed um, the Oktoberfest kind of history lesson. I think that's the biggest history lesson uh, we've done yet. And I hope my facts were right. And uh, I I hope that you guys learned something new. And I hope I wasn't just... uh, delivering something that you already knew and i definitely hope that you guys uh go in and check out forefathers brewing uh, and and get this beer even if you don't get this beer just go check it out um it's the kind of place that almost with the colder weather coming up i think would even be really pretty in um, the colder months with snow uh, and such so if you're in the area i know it's a lot to drive there when uh it's in the snow but uh check it out other than that, next week, like I said, we're doing the Canadian Brewing Awards. Um, maybe since it was my buddy's idea, maybe I have to get him on the the episode to join me and talk about these these brewing awards and break down the categories and uh, congratulate the, these breweries for for winning this prestigious uh, medal. But uh, until then, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, it, it's late; it's almost midnight here. And uh, I got to get some sleep. I got to edit the episode before I go to bed and uh, get it ready for tomorrow's posting. But uh, until then, guys, cheers.
or should I say for this uh, for this episode, prost. <laughs>